Hey guys, welcome to the 40th episode of our podcast. As you know, this is our third and final installment in the portfolio management series where we teach you how to grow your wealth and optimize your portfolio management. We have with us our returning guest Mr. Deepan Mehta who's here to talk about a really important subject. So far we've talked about how to build your portfolio, how to fix a broken portfolio and how to navigate uncertain market circumstances with your portfolio. But the bedrock that we've always maintained underneath all of this is selecting and buying the right stocks. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So I thought we'd do this a little bit differently. We've identified six lessons or six principles in stock selection. And I'm sure you have some fantastic stories of how you learned these lessons. And that's what we'd love to hear. But let's just go through these broad chapters one by one. And uh, then we can dig into each one of them. So the first thing you have to do is you have to find the right stocks to buy. Second, you have to know which stocks to avoid buying. You need to compare the stocks that you're buying against their peers. You need a checklist on what stocks you should or shouldn't buy. You need to consider how a stock fits into your broader portfolio. And you need to know when to sell a stock. Absolutely. So let's start. I'm sure you know, you've learned through your journey you know, what the right stocks to buy are and aren't. Um, so let's let's start there. First of all, Arun, thank you for having me on your show. And, um, you know, there's this uh, very popular saying uh, that in a, for a movie to do well, it has to have just three things. It has to entertain, entertain and entertain. The same way, if you want good, solid returns in stocks, the company has to have only three things. Growth, growth and growth. So if you have a growth-minded portfolio and you search for companies which are really growth-oriented uh, because of the promoter or because of the industry, or government regulation, whatever the reason may be, so long as it's growing, it'll keep on creating wealth for you. So the first lesson in trying to identify a good stock, which I look for, is what is the growth prospects? What are the growth momentum? Track record is not as important as the future is. Right. And you analyze what the industry of the company is, what its position is, and you have to make a very good estimate about the growth. That's, I think that's really important. So can you give us an example of why a growing industry or a growing sector or a growing theme is so important? Because you've outlined the importance of growth. But there's also a lot of investors that believe that you know you need to find the right value stocks that are undervalued and have strong cash flows and growth is not so important. But can you highlight this for us through an example? So the god of investing, Warren Buffett, used to say that the best investments, the best stock is when you buy a good quality business at a reasonable valuation. And that's a very important distinction. You can buy bad quality businesses at cheap valuation, but they don't work. But a good solid quality business will always be at a reasonable valuation, even in a bear market. And if you identify that business and buy it at reasonable valuation, then you can earn multi-bagger returns. And the first stock which comes to my mind, which has been a great value creator from the house of Tata's is Titan. Now Titan, mind you, has done about 17 times in the last 10 years. And in its journey in the last 25, 30 years, it has done more than 200 times. I've lost count of how much value it has created. And you may say that the Titan management has been phenomenal, but end of the day, what did Titan do? It started with watches, okay, where there was only HMT at that time. You won't even remember that there was only HMT. Yes. Yeah. So they, they were the first private sector watch manufacturer. 
and they instantly moved to manufacturing jewelry and retailing jewelry. There was a time when there was no organized retail chain for jewelry and there was all sorts of opaque business practices and they came into the jewelry business and they were known for their transparency means whatever gold weightage diamonds whatever they put was perfect and they had fabulous design and they kept on rolling out their retail network and it's been a fabulous journey for shareholders of titans such as ourselves so growth was there in the industry because it was nascent and it was excellent execution from the titan management and the results are there for you to see there's a particular story with titan that i find really interesting i think there was a time when titan was really struggling but uh, i don't remember who it was the ceo or somebody in the organization at the time came up with this strategy of allowing people to come in and measure the value and the purity of their gold because i think the local jewelers had told them this is 99% pure or 99.5% pure and the reality was it was a lot lower and uh, they were able to replace that gold that they had bought from the local jewelers that was impure with pure titan gold and although titan lost some money at that point they acquired the customers like that no i just a small correction yeah. so the story goes is that titan management once said that the reason they are so successful is because of the transparency and they have had many instances of uh, customers coming to them showing their jewelry and them getting their jewelry analyzed at titan showrooms and then titan is certifying and proving to them that this gold or this particular precious stone was substandard and they were shocked because they were buying it from the family jeweler who had been supplying jewelry for generations so they really established a gold standard in retailing of gold jewelry and the rest i think is history they have done phenomenally well because india's uh, rising consumption spends and also their kind of focus was on uh, day to day wearing jewelry not just wearing jewelry that's a big part but uh, you know they found the indian women are also entering the workforce uh, they are going out more frequently they are not housebound and there are more functions and parties which require jewelry of that type and that's where they focused on and did exceptionally well so coming back to your thing about growth you know so some company like titan used to grow at 25 30% compound for a decade even longer and when a company grows at that fast pace like say doubles in 3 or 4 years then basically the value of the company is also doubling in 3 or 4 years and more importantly when the street recognizes that there is growth it immediately starts to pay a higher multiple for it so it's like you know imagine the growths are going up the earnings per share is going up and also the multiples are going up right and that's the birth of a multilagger so you've talked about the importance of growth and this growth is there's there's multiple different types of growth right there's a company or a stock that's growing when a whole industry is growing there's companies that are growing even though that industry may be static or shrinking and then there's companies where their top line is growing and their bottom line is growing and that's because of price increases or better realizations but volume growth is not happening so how would you view these different types of growth and what's most important for investors so we established the fact that growth is important and the easiest way to find stocks is when the entire sector is growing well right what happened in technology in 1998 to 2000 entire sector did extremely well what we are seeing in the market just now like railway stocks defense stocks you know because government spending is increasing across the board so the entire sector starts to do very well same is true for infrastructure companies as well so and real estate i would add so that's easier for industry for investors to find sectors which are doing very well and invest in them because in a way uh, 
they are then assured of that growth because entire sector, you know, you heard of this saying that a high tide lifts all boats. Rising tide lifts. Rising tide lifts all boats. So that's what plays out over there. That's one example. Then there are companies which grow despite the sector being stagnant. And one company which comes to mind, which has done that phenomenally well is Reliance Industries. Now, Reliance started off as a polyester company. And at that point of time, polyester industry itself was not doing well, but they literally created the market and expanded capacity. Then from there, they went into petrochemicals. And that time also there was IPCL and there were other petrochemical companies like NoCell and PIL, but their growth rates were significantly higher. And the final example which comes to mind is the refining. So when it set up a refinery, it started competing with the likes of Indian Oil Corporation, HPCL, BPCL, the, the large oil refining companies, government-owned, which have been around for decades. And even over there, all those oil companies were stagnant. They did not create any value, but Reliance went from strength to strength. And they were the funds who really pioneered not only selling a good quality uh, uh, petroleum products at low cost, not only in India, but also exports. So there are always such examples, but as I said, it's better to be where the crowd is. There is, uh, I would say, safety in numbers. Okay. And what about the final final example we had? You know, of a company where maybe they're not growing in volume, but they're they're growing in value. Well, very difficult to identify any particular example, but you know, in recent times we have seen Sun Pharma do exceptionally well, and they have changed or not changed, but they are focusing more on specialty products. Now, what are specialty products? They are products which are branded, uh, which cannot be easily copied. There are certain patents on it, but they also require a hell of a lot of marketing to promote those products. So Sun Pharma has been, you know, focusing on that value strategy and that has done really well for them. And it has, you know, put them in a different league as compared to some of the other pharma companies. And mind you, this is still work in progress, but I'm pretty certain that right now it's about 20% of the revenues. The, the time that specialty products go to 40, 50% of the revenues, this company will be in a different league. Okay, so that's that's interesting. So all types of growth are, are valuable, but it's best to be with the crowds so that you're safe. Absolutely. Okay, so we've covered, you know, one side of this rubric, which is what stocks to buy, what stocks not to buy, what, what mistakes should investors avoid? See, you know, I think that uh, investors should stick to what they understand, you know, and what they see around them, you know, like, for example, if you've been around in this country for 25 years, You've seen HDFC Bank go from five or six branches in the premium localities to every nook and corner. Same you've seen with Titan. You've seen that happening with other companies like Trent, you know, where Westside was just one or two stores, but now they are across the country. You've seen it with Aviation, Indigo. So if you work with visible brands, uh, that's an easier way to identify the right kind of uh, stocks per se. But what is to be avoided is also very important because if you're in the stocks which don't do well, you just, you're just investing on hope. And I would put a lot of the commodity stocks in that particular category. Like for example, Vedanta has gone nowhere in the last 10 years or so. Coal India has started doing well just recently. And steel companies also only last two, three years, they've really perked up. But if you see their 10, 15, 20 year track record, they've not done well at all. Same holds too for real estate also when the cycle goes bad for 10 years, you know, the stocks go nowhere. So I would say that cyclical industries are best to be avoided by novice investors. It's great if you're an industry insider. You understand the industry, you know the turning point, you know which players are going to do well, what their strengths are. Then you can buy the bottom cycle of the industry, but it's not everybody's cup of tea. 
So I generally I want to avoid, avoid cyclical industries. And second thing, I want to avoid companies which have got a lot of debt. You know, so because debt in India you now has a very bad track record because interest rates are generally very high. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to get into a debt trap. And if you look at all the kind of great value destroyers, the GMR, the GVK, the Anil Ambani Group companies, Z, all of them, the underlying common factor has been high debt. Yeah, and for, for any of our viewers that don't know enough about this subject, we've done a whole podcast on this, you know, avoiding high debt companies. Absolutely. Uh, so they can all check it out if they want to know a bit more. But one thing I want to try and go back to. So last time you said that whether you're in a bull market or a bear market, you want to avoid buying the second tier, third tier companies um, in a sector or in a theme that's growing. So how should they how should they identify the tier A companies? I mean, in a lot of cases, it's obvious. But how how should they how should investors view peer comparisons? See, I think peer comparisons are important uh, because then you find out the best quality. So you've identified the sector you want to invest in. Like say, a private sector bank was a great sector to invest in. They were continuously gaining market share at the expense of public sector banks. And that's been true for the last 20 years or so, 30 years, I would say. HDFC Bank came in 95, so almost 30 years, they've been gaining market share. But within that also, I think if you go for the quality players, and mind you, they'll always be expensive, right? But because they're a quality player, they generally attract the best kind of talent. They also attract the best quality of investor. Like if you see the HDFC Bank, Who's who has invested in HDFC Bank as compared to say some of the tier two banks like say Anderson Bank or Yes Bank or even IDFC First Bank? So you know, so there is something about buying the best player or the quality player in a sector. It does really well, and it's really very difficult to do it in a disciplined way because the temptation is to identify a sector. The temptation is to look at the price earning multiple and buy the cheapest, but that's a mistake because when the sector downturn comes. The smaller players, they completely get wiped out. They destroy a lot of value. But the damage at the top tier level is much, much less. So I've learned this the hard way. So when, have you, when and how have you seen this play out in the markets? Because I'm sure this has happened a couple oh, of times. Yes. Excellent example of this was the ILFS crisis. So what happened back in February 2018 is that ILFS went uh, bankrupt, so to speak. And there was a huge crisis uh, as far as NBFCs are concerned. Uh, they had lent money to... Uh, a lot of real estate companies, large business groups, and they had raised that money from the money market. So what a lot of NBFCs are doing is bu buying on short term uh, or taking loans on short term, lending on a long term basis. So there was a mismatch as far as the tenure was concerned. And that had a detrimental or a disastrous effect on many companies, right? Uh, like likes of m and Finance, or you could say Divan Housing, Piramal Enterprises. All of these companies were completely shaken. But there was one company which did really well, and that was Bajaj Finance. So this is one example that Bajaj Finance, which was a quality player even before the ILFS crisis, when the crisis hit the NBFE sector, they were really you know standing above water. Shiram Transport went through a lot of turmoil. I mean, every every NBFC was completely you know uh, their entire business model came under a lot of stress. But Bajaj Finance really was able to navigate and gain superb market share when this industry was in a tough spot. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we'll come on to a really difficult lesson to understand, which is why and how should you consider your portfolio before buying a stock? If a stock is good, it's good, right? Yeah, that's a very common mistake which people make that, uh, you know, they end up buying stocks in the same industry because of the comfort level. Like if I've made a lot of money in, in HDFC Bank, 
in the next bank idea which comes i tend to buy it and i tend to you know go for it but that's a big mistake because what you end up is having a very distorted portfolio with very high weightage in a single industry so all the time we are getting ideas to buy stocks tips lack of another word to buy stocks buy this buy that and some of them stories are also very good but i would say that before considering a buying decision look at your portfolio are there gaps in that particular sector for you to buy that particular story like if you got 50% in banks the next good bank or mbfc which comes along avoid it because if the sector is going to do well then your holdings also will do well but if you are like 30 40% in banks and you hardly have any exposure to software and you know a tata alexi or a person systems comes along as a good stock idea i'd buy that in bulk because i want to increase my weightage of the sectors i'm underweighting so i should look for ideas and good ideas in the sectors i'm underweighting and that's how you do a good portfolio management because then when you have a balanced portfolio of good quality stocks in good quality industries well balanced in terms of weightage then it can withstand a lot of volatility which is very important what's very interesting so let's say you've done all this work let's say i'm an investor i've done all this work uh, i've got to the point where i'm thinking about buying a stock one thing you advocate is having a checklist Yeah, so you know there's a book called uh, the Checklist Manifesto written by Atul Gawande. He's also a fund manager, and uh, that book became very popular because he described various styles of uh, fund management, and he found that the fund managers who followed a checklist to the T, they were the most successful ones. It seems to be very, uh, I would say, uh, methodical and almost boring to follow a checklist. But if an investor designs a checklist and follows it. then a lot of mistakes can be avoided and the checklist can be very simple quality of the management is it part of a tata group birla group corporate governance second what are the growth prospects of the industry what are the level of debt who are their auditors you know simple things like this and if an answer is yes to most of them then that stock is worth buying but if you are compromising on any of these quality parameters be sure that you are compromising on the quality of the stock also So working with a checklist works really well. I think in all dimensions of life, a checklist works well. But in investing, it has a phenomenal impact on the returns you can generate in your portfolio. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really interesting. So what I think we'll try and do now is, if you have a checklist of four or five questions, we'll try and put in the description for the viewers, sure. so that when they're they're evaluating the next stock idea, they can apply this checklist. So let's come to our final segment. Right, you've bought a stock. when do you sell it well varun that's the most difficult thing and i don't think that me or any of the large investors who i respect have completely mastered the art of selling but many i would just like to give a few ideas over there it's still work in progress i should be candid um many very often investors sell because the stock has gone up so let's look at why you should not sell so then you can come to when you should sell very often stock price doubles investor shares i should sell half my stock at least my cost becomes zero that's the wrong thing to do sometimes they sell because the stock has gone up tremendously that also is wrong because every time the stock goes up doesn't mean that it's not going to go up further i mean hdfc bank has given a 183 times return in the last 30 years or so and it's gone up every year 15 20 30 40% it has it became it became a 10x then that 10x became another 10x So every time a stock goes up and you sell it, then you're going to miss the next upcycle in that particular stock. So just because the stock price has gone up, it's not a reason to sell. Don't keep targets for your stocks. 
keep performance targets of the, the company. Means I want the company to grow at 15, 20, but don't give the stock. I think that's that's really important. And that's I want to try and stick on that for a second because every investor I've ever met, and if you look at the way the communication around investing generally plays out also, everybody has stock price targets and everybody expecting a stock price target and everybody asks for stock price targets. Yes, well, the ones who ask for a stock price target, they have a trading mentality. When Warren Buffett was asked, what is your price target or what is your holding period? He said, my holding period is forever and I don't have any price target because good quality companies, so long as they are keeping on growing and creating value, there is no target for them. You're just lucky to be invested in them. And if you're holding on to a good thing, don't let it go out of your hands. So don't keep price targets, keep performance targets. I mean, I want this company to grow at this percentage and I will remain invested so long as I'm confident that past three, four years, it has grown at the rate which I had in mind, 15%, 20%. And going forward, depending upon the industry, the cycle, the management, what their commentary is, I'm pretty confident that it can continue to grow at 15, 20, whatever my benchmark is. And so long as the company is delivering on the performance targets, I'm not going to sell. Okay. So now coming back to the reasons to sell. <laughs> okay. Sometimes the best reason to sell is bad news. Like, you know, corporate governance issue coming up. Uh, promoter is involved in some kind of a scam or scandal. Uh, there's regulatory action against a company. Or there is just some negative news flow like bad quality. That's easy. Yeah. That's easy. What's the hard way? When, because oftentimes, when, when some bad news comes around a stock, no, investors know they have to sell it. They know they have to sell it. But when should they decide to sell a stock given there's no bad news? I'll give you an example. Hindustan Unilever. It's been one of the great wealth creators of this country right through the 80s, 90s, even up to 2000s. The company had been consistently growing at 15, 20% or even higher. Lately, the growth rates are single digit. So what has gone wrong with Hindustan Unilever? It's a great company. We all use their products. They've been innovating, advertising, going deeper and deeper. But growth rates have certainly slowed down because a lot of the categories they are present in have reached maturity. End of the day, there's only so much of toothpaste, soap, washing powder that you can sell. Every household is already using it. So when growth rates start to slow down, that thing is the first signal to sell off. And this can be applied for large holdings. Okay, it's not when you talk of selling of stock, which is 0.5, 0.1% of your portfolio, it is okay, easy decision. But if a stock is 5%, 10% of your portfolio, which you like, which HUL was or is in many portfolios, yeah. then you know it's flagging. It's time to switch out of a stock like Hindustan Unilever and go into something which is a growth-oriented stock. So when the growth is falling below your benchmark, and mind you, for an investor, the benchmark has to be minimum 15% growth. Don't buy a stock which, if you're not convinced, cannot grow by 15% minimum over the next three to five years. Don't buy it. And if you find the growth of your company which you're holding going to that eight, nine, six, seven, and consistently, not just one year, two year, but three, four years, it is going nowhere, and you don't see it growing, that's the time to exit the stock. Okay. I think uh, that's really. I think that's really important to remember for all of our viewers that if if a company is not meeting the growth thresholds, if bad news comes, um, it's time to move out. And uh, hopefully, in, in you know, in summarizing that, we've 
we've completed the full life cycle of, uh, of stock selection. Maybe we should just recap it once very quickly for our viewers. Uh, and please correct me if I go wrong. So you start out with, look for growing stocks, themes, sectors, right? You compare it against its peers to make sure that it's the quality grade A stock. You consider that it's not increasing your allocation to an overexposed area in your portfolio. You run through a checklist to make sure it, it meets your quality threshold. And finally, when it's no longer performing or some bad news comes, it's time to move on. Absolutely. That's the full life cycle and easier said in a podcast like this. But it takes uh, some amount of effort on the part of the investor to develop this temperament and discipline. Well, hopefully by watching this podcast, that's, you know, one step in developing that temperament and discipline. And uh, we hope we're able to deliver value to our viewers. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for that. Uh, so there's a director's question today as well. As we all know, uh, we're all uh, disciples of Warren Buffett and the most value creating company for Warren Buffett in 80s and 90s was Coca-Cola. Now it's Apple. What, if you are Warren Buffett, what's your Coca-Cola? Just now, nothing. You are very negative on the market. Yeah. But you know... But till now, like the entire... Which has been. Yeah, like for your entire career. What's, Bajaj what's Finance. Your... Bajaj Finance. We didn't talk about that stock or didn't we? Need so we did, yeah, Bajaj Finance, 40x. Yeah. What a company it has been. Before that, Aisha Motors, you know, which makes Royal Enfield motorcycle. What a company. I mean, I bought Aisha Motors because they had a tie-up with Volvo and uh, they were going to bring Volvo trucks into India back, I think, 15 years ago. That would be about in 2005-06. And we thought that Volvo would really, you know, be able to compete with Tata Motors and Ashok Leyland. So Volvo was okay, but actual motorcycles which they built, that's Siddharth Lal, the Royal Enfield, the Bullet and Discover and all these, they did so well, so well, the stock went up 100 times. So, like, it's a Coca-Cola <laughs> for me, at least many people. Okay, so like, another question. Uh, a lot of our viewers are asking and they are... Like, being fans of you right now, they are like really appreciating <laughs> uh, you. you giving them advices. They are asking for a ETF, a small, small case from you for coming 5 years or 10 years. What 5 or 6 stocks you might suggest them? No, I don't want to give a recommendation just now. My view on the market is very negative. I think there's a correction around the corner. Even if it doesn't come uh, in a deep way, there's time-wise correction. So I just want to be a bit light and not give any stocks, you know. Uh, because that would be misleading. There's a lot of froth in the market. It's better to just stay calm and you know just stay away from the market for some time. This podcast is produced by Lakeshore Equities Private Limited, a semi-registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and information purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.